Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 14, and I'll read verses 12 through 14 for us now, as we prepare to hear from Claude Marshall, as he helps us learn how to recover from sickness. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. You know, in the medical field and in the field of mental health, there is sometimes what's called a presenting problem and also an underlying problem. Now, the presenting problem is the reason why you go to the doctor. Something's wrong. You know it's wrong. You're presenting it in some symptom, so you go to the doctor or some health professional. The underlying problem could be something that you're not quite sure about, but it's there. You might not know it. So you might have a bad cough, a hacking deep cough, and it After days, you can't get rid of it. You go to the doctor. And the doctor doesn't just hand you a bottle of cough syrup and go home. That's the presenting problem. Maybe he would be tempted to do that. But if he's a good doctor, he's going to listen to your your heart, listen to your lungs to make sure you don't have an underlying problem, something like pneumonia that's causing your cough. Well, in our scripture passage this morning, we meet a man who has both a presenting problem, and an underlying problem. And in his need for recovery, we find that in recovery from sickness, we need a double cure. Let's meet the cast of characters. It's a wonderfully interesting story. There are two kings, a king of Syria, a king of Israel. As important as kings are, their names aren't even mentioned. There are servants, a little girl and some other servants, who play significant roles in Naaman's road to recovery. There's a prophet of God named Elisha. And of course, the Syrian army commander named Naaman. Let's begin with Naaman. He's described as a man with a powerful position. He is trusted by the king of Syria. He's the commander of the army of the king. He may have been the second most powerful person in the whole kingdom of Syria. He is called in scripture a great man with his master and in high favor a mighty man of valor. Well, he's respected, he's trusted, he's highly regarded, he's a man of substance. He is that in part, we learn in verse 1, because God himself had given Naaman the victories that he had for the king of Syria. Although Naaman, at this point, doesn't know that the God of Israel has done that for him. But there is something about him that's different. He's a leper. He has a malignant ongoing skin disease that's infectious. The scripture calls it leprosy. It shows up with clear symptoms of swelling of the skin, of white spots or dark and white spots, of scabs, of peeling flesh. It's not pretty. It's disfiguring. It reminds us that even the powerful, even the most powerful people still have brokenness in them. Well, here's the story. Here's where the story changes a bit. 
Nahum has been able to mag, somehow manage his symptoms enough to be in a great and powerful position in a great and powerful kingdom. But now he's finding that there is no cure for what he has. So he surely struggled with it every day. But in his household, there is a servant girl. Uh, the girl is probably under 10 years old. She's from Israel, from Samaria. She has been captured on one of the Syrian raids into the land and taken, and taken by Naaman's wife to be one of her servants. And this servant girl says to her mistress, without guile and in love for the lord of her household, Naaman, if only my lord with, with, were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would heal him of his leprosy. Wow. What a precious little 10-year-old girl who has a precious faith, simple trust, simple belief. Reminds us that Jesus said the kind of faith we need to have is the faith like that of a little child. Well, remember that Nahum's wife, when she tells him from the story that there is a possibility of healing, that in fact, my servant girl says that there's someone you can go to back in Israel, which is, of course, enemy-occupied territory, Nahum, Nahum reports this to the king, which shows that he's desperate enough. He's desperate enough for a cure. That he'll go to the king and say, maybe I should go into Israel and seek someone among the enemy who might cure me. And no doubt he has tried cures in Syria, but none of them has worked. And the king of Syria favors Nahum so much that he says, of course you should do that. In fact, he writes a letter to the king of Israel. This is what he says. When this letter reaches you, king of Israel, know that I have sent to you Nahum, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now imagine if you're the king of Israel and you've just gotten a letter from the king of Syria, who is your enemy, that you're living right now in kind of this um, negotiated peace because they're really more powerful than you are. And he sends you a letter and saying, I'm send you, sending you my military commander so you can heal him of leprosy. No wonder he was somewhat surprised, somewhat suspicious, and said this, Am I God to kill and make alive? That this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. In other words, what the king of, of Samaria does is first he tears his clothes, which is a sign of dismay, a sign of I don't know what to do, a sign of I'm in trouble. And, and then he says, you know, I think the king of Syria is trying to pick a fight. I think he's trying to escalate the warfare that's been going on between our two nations. I can't cure anybody of leprosy. Who does he think I am? Then enters the story Elisha, the prophet of God who somehow hears what's going on in the king's chamber. We don't know that he was in the king's chamber at the time, but Elisha's a prophet of God. God made it clear to him what was going on. And so he sends a message to the king and says, let him, let Nahum come to me now that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. And I don't think Elisha was saying that in such a way to say, let him come to me so he'll know that there's a prophet in Israel. <laughs> I can do something about this. What he's saying is, if there's a prophet in Israel, and there is, 
Yahweh is active in Israel. The word and the power of God has effect. And so that's the message. The message is given. But as Nahum comes to Israel, comes to Samaria, comes with all his entourage, he shows up at Elisha's house. He comes with his, his chariots, all the horses, all the people, soldiers with him. Now you know that caused quite a stir in the neighborhood, right? I mean, the army commander of the enemy people showing up in front of your house is no small thing. And you think something big would happen. Nahum goes up to the house of Elisha, expecting that Elisha will come out. Come out and do some dramatic thing. Come out and call upon God. Maybe offer some offering. Maybe do something that's special. Anoint him with oil. Lay his hands on him. Do some big thing to heal him of his disease. That's what he expects. But Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. He stays inside. He sends out one of his servants and says this. The servant says this. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be made clean. Go wash in the Jordan River seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be made clean. To Naaman, this sounds like utter nonsense. Elisha may, have, may as well have said the words of a song that some of us know. Put the lime in the coconut and drink them both together. Put the lime in the coconut, then you'll feel better. Put the lime in the coconut, drink them both down. Put the lime in the coconut and call me in the morning. That's what it sounded like to Nahum. This is crazy. Why would I go wash myself in the Jordan River? Aren't the rivers in Damascus better than that? The rivers in Damascus flow with clear, cool water from snow-covered mountains around the city. The Jordan River in parts of Samaria look a lot more like a muddy creek than a real river. I'm not going down there. Why didn't he come out? You would have thought, as important as I am, that the prophet would have at least come out and done something, laid his hands on me, done something that would show that, that I've got some significance here, people. Well, it says very tersely that what Nahum did was turn away in rage. He refused the prescription for his healing. Now, the problem with Nahum is that he already imagined how his healing would take place. He already had it in his mind what a prophet of God would do. Now, we have a similar problem sometimes. We get sick. We have an issue in our life that's like sickness or maybe something other problem. We have a crisis. We pray, and we have sort of this idea or expectation of how God's going to answer. And if God doesn't answer the way we expect, we get kind of upset. He doesn't meet our expectations. We kind of try to prescribe the way we want to be healed to God. And sometimes God says, I've got a different way. So we sometimes need to learn like Nahum did, that God's way is the best way. We need to wait and stop and, and think and watch to see how God will act and see if he will indeed heal us. Now remember, sometimes, as I said at the beginning, there is a presenting problem and an underlying problem, right? Presenting problem is pretty obvious. Underlying problem 
not so obvious. For Nahum, it is true that he had both. He has two diseases, not just one. The first one is pretty clear. If you're a leper, it's pretty hard to hide it. If your flesh is discolored, if it's falling off your body, it's kind of hard to hide that. I mean, he probably wore long sleeves all the time, probably covered up the best he could, maybe put makeup on, but you can't hide it. The presenting problem is clear. The, the other disease he has is not so clear, but it's much more common. I mean, we don't all have leprosy. I hope none of us do. Uh, you would be unclean, according to Bible words. <laughs> we don't have leprosy, but we all have the second disease that Nahum does. Let me show you what I mean. Prescription is given him by God to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. He refuses to do a very simple thing that God has prescribed for him to be healed. And in that refusal and in the words that he says, we see something about him. He, he is self-sufficient. He is self-important. He is prideful. He is filled with rage when he doesn't get his way. Now, the Bible has a word for that disease, and you know that word. It's a short one. It's called sin. So Nehemiah does have sin in his life. He has two diseases. He has a presenting problem, clear to all, leprosy. He has an underlying problem. He's got sin in his life. That sin in his life is keeping him from embracing the cure to his first problem. That's where he is. Now, it's a small thing you would think to dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times. Now, maybe you're fearful of water, you can't swim, it looks muddy, I don't know what's in the water, maybe it's going to be muddy on the bottom, I like sandy beaches, whatever reason. <laughs> this dipping seven times was really kind of a take on the Hebrew way of dealing with this problem. It was a sevenfold act that the Israelites would do to be healed of this disease. We can dismiss the small things in life. We can look for the big things, the dramatic things, the the things that we know that show us somewhat that we're important. We can look for God to act in such a way that he recognizes that we contribute something to this, that I can be able to handle my life, that I might need a little help, but basically I'm good, thank you very much. We can be like that. We can forget that God has designed our Christian growth using what has been called in church history the ordinary means the ordinary means, the preaching of the word, prayer, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and baptism. God working through ordinary, every Sunday kind of means to grow us up in Christ. That's what God is desired to do, and it's the way he does it. And the other thing that Nahum did not quite yet understand is that the way into the kingdom of God is always through surrender. The way into the kingdom of God. It's always through surrender, surrendering our will to God's will, surrendering our self-sufficiency to God's wonderful provision. Well, he did finally dip himself in the river Jordan seven times because he had servants who convinced him to do it. But what really happened in his life was that he had a change of heart first. He had to have, to, to take a step of obedience, to simply go dip yourself or wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times means that he had a change of heart in his rage to walk away. Had he done that, he would have gone back to Syria, the, a worse leper than when he came. But God changed his heart. 
he stepped into the river seven times. In doing so, he showed simple acts of faith. And that's how we do it. God changes our heart. We call it, in theological terms, regeneration. We're born from above. And then we take steps of faith to follow and trust in Christ. Well, many of us in our lives will face times of need to be recovering from sickness. Many of us will. I'm currently in one of those times. At the end of January, I was diagnosed with cancer of the prostate, which is the second most form of cancer that American men have. Many men sitting here have had it. Many of you probably have it, don't even know it. Many American men who have that particular type of cancer don't ever know it. It's usually very slow growing. It doesn't really affect life. Many men who have prostate cancer die of something else. It doesn't really change their life. So when I was diagnosed, the doctor at first said, ah, we got this. It's an easy thing. We'll do a surgery. It'll be robotic. We'll take out your prostate. You'll get on with life, which sounded pretty easy to me. I can, I can do this. I'll be out a couple days, maybe a week. No problem. And then after some scans, you get all kinds of scans before you do anything. You've got to have your body looked at all over. It was discovered that the particular type of prostate cancer that I had was, as the doctor described it in his office, <clears throat> very high risk, stage four, advanced metastatic cancer. Well, that wasn't what I was expecting to hear. And then he said something else that kind of I wasn't expecting to hear. And he said exactly these words as he walked out of the exam room. He said, you've been dealt a bad hand. It's not your fault. And I sat there waiting for the nurse to come give me the paperwork to leave. And I thought, hmm, I've been dealt a bad hand. Well, yeah, it feels like that. This isn't the hand I thought I had been dealt. But then the second part, it's not your fault. I thought, hmm, it's not my fault. Whose fault is it? <laughs> But then I kind of lean back into my theology, to what I know about God, and realize it's not a matter of fault. I have been dealt a hand, a hand that seems bad that I didn't want to have, but I know God. I know that he is a God of wonderful, sovereign, providential care, that nothing comes into my life or any Christian's life except that it comes through his hands. And I can trust his hands. Now, it isn't what I wanted, but I can trust him because he is a loving God. He will care for me. So it's not my fault. It's not the hand I wanted. But yes, I can believe that he is sovereign over every single cell in my body. He's sovereign over every molecule and atom in the entire universe. Nothing happens apart from his loving care. So I knew that answer. And it helped a while. But I did decide early on and through the early part of the process, in my head I still thought, well, I got this. I still have to have a surgery, a different one, and then I'll have a treatment that will go on every day, an ongoing drug regimen that I'll have to take as long as I live or as long as it works or whatever happens. And who knows, maybe Jesus will heal me in a miraculous way. And so for some time I talked to my wife and said, well, we'll, we'll tell the people who have to know, family, a few friends, our small group, probably, the chapel staff that I work with that have to know, my bosses, etc. 
And then I remember one day having a conversation with God, with Jesus, uh, one morning in my quiet time, kind of arguing a bit about the hand I'd been dealt. It's like, well, Lord, this is what isn't what I expected. I mean, I think I've got this, but it's not what I expected. I'm kind of wondering why you would do this, because, you know, I need to work, and I've got work to do. I, I have to care for people. I'm a pastoral care pastor at the chapel. I need to care for people. I need to have the strength and energy and the health to do it. And in my arguing with God, I was doing all the talking, by the way, <laughs> Jesus interrupted. He interrupted the way Jesus often does in the Gospels. He often will talk with people, sometimes particularly people he's about to heal, and he'll simply ask them a question. Jesus asked me a question. Now, I, didn't, I wasn't reading it in the Bible. It wasn't something I heard in my ear, but it was so clear in my head. I knew it was Jesus talking to me. Now, I'm not usually a mystical person. <laughs> I do listen for his voice. He does speak, as he does to any Christian at times. This was as clear as it could possibly be, a very simple question. It was this. Why won't you let me care for you? Why won't you let me care for you? I was stunned. I was undone, as the, the old masters would have put it. Tears started flowing. Repentance came. Lord, I thought I had this. And the really, the, what I realized, and Jesus was gentle in showing me, that I had a presenting problem. It's prostate cancer, stage four, metastasized, high risk. I have an underlying problem. It's pride, self-importance, self-reliance. Turns like I'm a lot like the main character in this story. I need a double cure. And so the word is on my cancer from the doctor is that it's not curable. It hopefully is manageable for many years to come. We'll see. The word on my other problem is that it's already been cured. This is what the Apostle Paul said about it in Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 7. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us, in Christ Jesus. Well, I will continue to struggle with my cancer treatment. It's not easy. It's been hard to go through this physically, mentally. I will continue to struggle with my sin nature. It's not easy. It's hard to put sin to death every day. It's hard to do that. I know that. My recovery from cancer is hoped for, but it's not sure. My recovery from sin is guaranteed. Again, the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Because in Christ I have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So do you need recovery from sickness? Jesus is a great physician. He meets us in our need, whatever it is. And our part is, is probably to surrender, 
surrender our pride, our self-reliance, our self-importance, and trust in his loving care. To open ourselves up to his surgical precision as he makes us new, both now and forever. Would you let him do that? He will use even his table this morning, the ordinary means of grace, in the process of making us all new. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are ready to help get you connected to Christ and his community. Have a blessed day.